Well, good evening, good evening. Hey, we are in a series entitled Why. We're talking about some things that we feel uh, are unique or distinct about our church or things that we value that we want you to know and, uh, and understand. And so I'm uh, wrapping up my part of the series here at this campus this weekend. Jamie's going to be here next weekend. Then I'm going to go to Williamsburg, which we're trying to make sure we get some rotation now that we have a couple of campuses. How about come on at the end of January? Suffolk is going to launch. It's going to be three. So we'll be doing a little bit of rotating there as, as uh, Pastor Justin's going to be uh, the campus pastor there. And so he and I and Jamie will be moving around a little bit. And so we started planning some of that this week. So it's going to be good. We're excited about what God is doing. So, hey, I want to share tonight. I'm going to do my best. I know I kept you a little bit long last night. And so, not last night, kept you a little bit long last week. And uh, so I'm going to try to condense this down a little bit. We'll see how successful I am in this. But um, if, if you've got your, your, your iPhone, you can go to Uversion, and, uh, and, and if you don't have an account open, you should create one, because then you can follow along the sermon through that app, City Life Newport News. It's a live event. All the verses populate for you. And then also, every week on our website by Monday, uh, the sermon is going to be online. The notes are going to be on there on a PDF document, and so you can listen again if you want to. You can download the notes. Uh, that way you don't have to feel the pressure to write it all down tonight, or it's gone. Uh, so those notes are always online for you. So, hey, I'm going to share tonight, I believe, to be one of the greatest sins that's perpetuated in the church today. Meaning that, that it is a, a, a sin that is, that is active and present in, in most Christians' lives. And one of the reasons why it's there is because the church encourages it. And we don't want to be that church. And so that's why we talk about it so openly every, every year, at least a couple of times a year. So I'm going to read out of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Ecclesiastes 4, 5 through 6. It says, The fool folds his hands and has no food to eat. One handful of rest is better than two handfuls of work in trying to catch the wind. What's the writer of Ecclesiastes saying? Saying, hey, if, if all that you ever do in your life is rest, then you're not going to accomplish anything, and you're not even going to be able to provide for yourself. But the pendulum can swing too far to the other way. This phrase of chasing after the wind in Ecclesiastes is this idea of life pursuits that, that really are not going to bring fulfillment. They can never be done. And so the pendulum can swing all the other way to where the only thing that your life about is work and getting more. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, then you're never going to be satisfied. There's a balance that you've got to find in life between work and rest, and you've got to have a hand on each of those. Listen to Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. It says, if you keep from doing what pleases you on the day of rest, which is the Sabbath day, and we're going to talk about that's not a specific day, but it's a concept. On my holy day, and call the day of rest a happy time. I love that in the New Living Translation. It's saying, don't be obedient begrudgingly. Celebrate when God is asking you to do something. God's saying you, you don't get credit if you don't do it with the right heart, right? All of you who are parents, you get it, right? We, we want our kids to obey, but we want them to obey with the right heart. And so we, when our kids are growing up, we said all the time, you don't get credit for obedience if you do it with your lips sticking out and a pouty face, right? Your motivation matters. I hear Denise over there, preach it, Fred. They're in the throes of parenting, come on. Do it. It's got to be a happy time. You've got to celebrate obedience. And respect my holy day, the Lord says. And if you honor it by turning from your own ways, meaning that, that, that you're willing to, to, to set aside what you want to do and say, God, what do you want me to do with this day? 
right? Set aside your own ways and from your own desires, and by not taking, talking in a foolish way, then you will have the joy of the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high places on the earth, and I will feed you with the best from the land given to your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is big. Isaiah is prophesying here that there is a favor that comes from God through respecting the Sabbath. That there is favor that God wants to give you. There is blessing that he wants to give you that you forgo if you set aside the practice of a weekly Sabbath. In Matthew 8, 23 to 27, I'm not going to read that, but Matthew 8, 23 to 27 is the famous story in the Bible where Jesus is asleep in the boat. It's one of the biblical references for napping. And he's asleep there, and a storm comes upon them, and the disciples are convinced that everyone's going to die, and they are afraid, and Jesus stands up, and he says, peace be still. And what happens? The wind stops, the wave stops, the rain stops, and they're like, wow. For some of you, your life is a storm of activity, and what you need is for the practice of a Sabbath to be your Jesus in your boat and to stand up and say, peace be still. There is a storm of busyness in many of your lives. And as a church, we're committed to not contribute to that. It's why we have limits on how often can people can volunteer. It's one of the reasons why we love when husbands and wives, whenever possible, for them to serve together. So we, we don't want to fracture the family that we're supposed to build. It's a saying that we have here at City Life. And for some of you, you're self-fracturing, sometimes because maybe you're coming for a church, from a church that's overworked you, which I'm saying that's a terrible thing, and that has to stop in churches today. And we want to be a church that, that helps you learn how to invite the Sabbath into your boat, so in the storm of activity that you're in, and it feels like you're going under at any minute, the peace be still that you need is the practice of a weekly Sabbath in your life. So I want to talk a little bit about this idea of rest awareness, that one of the reasons why I believe that this is such a common sin in the church today is there's a lack of understanding, there's a lack of awareness that the Bible teaches about rest. And I believe there are four kinds of rest. I just want to give them to you briefly, and then I want to talk about one of the four, which is a physical rest. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, Hebrews 4, verse 9. It says, so there is a special rest. There's an asterisk here. Uh, remember, the Bible is divinely inspired, but the commentary and the chapter headings are not. Sometimes they miss it, right? And, it, and, and in mine, it, you go down and, it, and it, the asterisk says it, well, it just means it's a Sabbath rest. But I, don't, I, don't, I think they missed that, and I'm going to tell you why. There is a special rest. And they knew they had to set it apart because it's a unique word. In the Greek, it's sabbatismos. It's a unique word because that word had never been written before. It's why we know the writer of Hebrews was... We don't know who they were, but we know they were called to preach because they made up words. So there's a special rest, sabbatismos, which literally means a rest that does not end. Still waiting for the people of God. Now I believe the writer of Hebrews here was telling us that there is a restfulness that we can carry in this life that never stops. And the only way that you can have that experience of that kind of rest is if you're incorporating all four of the rests 
that the writer of Hebrews talks about. Now, you can download the notes online, and I connected all these to the certain verses, and you can check that out. If you've got questions, you can get in touch with me, and I'd love to talk to you about it more. But I'm just going to give you what those four are. One is a paternal rest. The writer of Hebrews here in chapter 4, and then also the end of chapter 3, talks about a kind of rest that comes when you enter into a relationship with God. That when you make a vow of devotion to Christ and you enter into a relationship with him, and he contrasts that with the people of Israel in the days of old. They were faithful in practicing a weekly Sabbath, but they did not have a relationship with God. And, and so he says those people didn't know the kind of rest that I'm talking to you about right now. When, when you know that God is a good, good father, you're at rest. When you wake up every day knowing God is your best and closest friend, you're at rest. When you believe that everything that God does in your life, that he does with your best interest at heart, you're at rest. It's a paternal rest. And you can't have sabbatismos, the fullness of rest, the complete rest, without that rest operating in your life. There's a purposeful rest. It's the rest that the writer of Hebrews talks about Jacob and the, and the, uh, the, the, the uh, not Jacob, Joshua. When Joshua led the Israelites into the conquering of the promised land, right? That was a, a big moment of fulfilling a purpose that they had. And he equates the idea of rest to that. There is a rest that you find when you're leveraging your life for a kingdom purpose that God has called you to do. When it's, it's part of what I was talking about in the offering moment. There's a kingdom sacrifice that you're supposed to make. And for many of you, that means that, that there's a, a, a calling, a gifting, a service that, that's based on how God has shaped you and made you. It's passions and talents and abilities that, that all of that function follows form. That you've got to engage your life to say, God, what is the purpose you've called me to do? And as you begin to engage that purpose, you might be physically tired, but there's a rest of the soul because you're walking in a divine destiny. There's a purposeful rest. There's a perpetual rest that the writer of Hebrews talks about. He talks about realizing that we don't, cannot work for our salvation. That when you realize that, that salvation is given to you by grace because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have to make a vow of devotion to him to receive that forgiveness, but that's it. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. When you realize that you can stop working for God's favor and that heaven is promised to you, I call that a perpetual rest. There is a rest that comes through your soul when you realize that heaven is settled for you. You don't have to worry about what's going to be for you at the end of your days. There's a paternal rest. There's a purposeful rest. And that there is a perpetual rest. And I believe one of the problems in the church today is that because they believe and understand those kinds of rests, this is what they teach. And maybe you came from a church like this. You don't need to practice a Sabbath anymore because now you have a spiritual rest that transcends and supersedes a physical rest. And I'm telling you, that's bad teaching. It's bad teaching because your body still needs to rest. If, if you don't give your body rest, which isn't just about the Sabbath, it's a bigger concept. It's about the stewardship of your, of your physical body. If you want to learn some more about that, then you can come to our life group tomorrow morning. Come on at Kelby and Pages at 10 a.m. That's a good plug right there. Come on. Funny tea. You got to take care of your body. I think a lot of people are going to get to heaven and God's going to say, what, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm here because... Jesus died on the cross. No, no, I get that. I'm God. I understand how it works. I'm just saying, why are you here now? Because you weren't supposed to be here for another 25 years. Because you didn't take care of yourself. You with me? There's a stewardship of our body. There's a physical rest that we must be willing to embrace. It was never supposed to be set aside. There is an awareness that we need of all the different kinds of rests that God demands of us. Now, why do we feel like we're free to set that one aside? 
Because in Mark 2.27, Mark 2.27, this, this is the famous verse where Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man, man was not made for the Sabbath. And so we say, huh, it means it's a choice. It means that I get to decide whether or not I'm going to do it because it's a gift. And, and what that is, is taking our Western culture of gift giving and applying it theo theologically to kingdom living. And you can't do that. You get in trouble. Now, why do I say that? Because if somebody gives you a gift that you don't like, Chris House's birthday is on Monday. So if you want to give him a present, feel free, right? But he might not like the present that you give to him. You with me? He's a Lakers fan. So don't give him anything, right, from, from Golden State Warriors, He's going to, because he's a nice guy, he's going to pretend that he likes it, but he's going to re-gift that at Christmas time. He's giving it to somebody else. And if you were to find out, you wouldn't be mad at him. You would say, that's well within the parameters of gift giving because it's how you practice gift giving. We're nice, but we, we have this idea that if it is a gift, I don't have to accept it. Can, can I just tell you that when God gives us a gift, it means that it's a choice, means that he does not force us upon us, but it does not mean that it's not consequential if you reject it. Salvation is a gift, but there's consequences if you reject it. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about it as a gift from God. How many of us would say that I can reject his plan for salvation and then I, because it's well within the realm of gift giving because I can reject gifts, I'm okay. None of us would say that. We understand how ludicrous that is. But yet when it comes to the Sabbath day, we say because it's a gift, I don't have to choose to do it. Every gift that God wants to give to you, we should want to unwrap it, wear it, put it to practice in our life, whether we want to or not, until our heart catches up. Rest awareness. We need to understand that there are many kinds of rest that God has called us to, and we need all of them if we're going to experience sabbatismos, the completeness of rest, a rest that is unending. Let's talk about rest attitude. I think there's a problem with the practice of a weekly Sabbath. So let's shift gears to just focusing on physical rest, on physical rest. I think there's a problem with the practice of physical rest because we don't have the right attitude. So part of it is this idea of rejecting a gift, but part of it is because we have become desensitized to the sacredness of God's plan for physical rest. We've desensitized ourselves, right? I love the story. It's in John 2, 13 through 17. Jesus turns the tables of the temple over twice, right? He does it once at the beginning of his ministry. He does it once at the end of his ministry. It's, it's one of the great book endings of Jesus' life and teaching where he does both of these things, and it's to bring emphasis to it. And, and what he's saying is, hey, you're not doing it the right way, and I'm upset about it. There should be some things that if this church began to adopt them as beliefs, you should be looking for a table to overturn to get my attention. You tracking with me? You should have a list of some things to say, Fred, if he were to go there, where is a table? Where is a table? Because this, this isn't right. This is wrong. Let me, let me just, can I give you some examples? Please, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What, what if December sermon, I said, you know what? Going forward as a church, we're going to worship other gods. We're going to actively participate in other religions. We're just going to rotate. We've got 52 weeks. We're going to pick one every weekend. What if we said, hey, we got to plant this campus on the south side. 2020 vision. We're still a little bit behind. We're going to be talking about that in December. So what we're going to do is everybody's going to make idols in their garage. And not only are we going to pray to them, but we're going to sell them on eBay to raise money for the church. Number two. Number three. We spoke with profanity. Vulgar, especially using God and Jesus as curse words. Yeah, 
I know, it hurts, doesn't it? You got quiet there because some of you said, oh, I'm on the list already. <laughs> he was overhearing me in the parking lot. What if we begin to teach your children? David says, I got some vision for the youth group. It's going to be good. We're going to teach the youth of the church to speak disrespectfully to their parents and demean them derogatory ways in public. Right? Looking for a table. I'm looking for a table. I got kids in the youth group. I'm flipping this table over, right? Practice open marriage relationships with their spouse. What if we taught that? What if we taught that? What if we said dishonesty for personal gain is just a natural part of life? What if we said giving false testimony is okay because most people are guilty of something anyways? What if we taught that ending your neighbor's possessions is a great way to motivate yourself to get more stuff? If, if we just said we're going to adopt one of those, you guys would be out of here, and if you wouldn't be, then I've not done a good job of teaching you as a pastor. Right? What if we practiced all of them? Where am I getting those? Nine of the Ten Commandments right there. Nine of the ten. You and I cringe at the thought of it. We laugh because it's an exaggeration, because it's funny. It's a little bit satirical because we all know who on earth would profess Christianity but do these things. But yet many of us live our lives without practicing a weekly Sabbath and we don't even feel a twinge of guilt about it. Many churches teach that not doing a Sabbath is okay. How? How can you take that one out of the list of 10 and put it all by itself? I think that's why God made it part of the 10. I think that's why. Because if it wasn't part of the 10, we would find some way to talk ourselves out of it. So God says, hey, I'm going to make it part of the list. So that, so that no one could say, this one doesn't matter. Because I'm going to attach it to nine other things that everybody who is a professing Christian throughout the ages would say, of course we're supposed to do that. But many of us don't. Many of us have gotten swept away into a storm of busyness. And one of the reasons is because maybe there's been a lack of awareness, but one of them is most certainly is because of our attitude. We have desensitized ourselves to the sin that it is when we violate the sacred principle. Exodus 20. Oh, I love these verses. Come on. Remember the day of rest. In the Hebrew here, the word is Shabbat. Remember the day of rest and keep it holy. The word holy in the Hebrew is Kadash. I'm going to give you three definitions. Shabbat, Kadash, and Nuach. Remember the Shabbat and keep it Kadash. Six days you will do your work, but on the seventh day of rest, the Shabbat to the Lord your God, your sons, your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, your cattle, your traveler who stays with you must not do any work on this day. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all of them, and then he nuoked, he rested. And on the seventh day, the Lord gave honor to the Shabbat and he made it Kadash. Shabbat means to repose, this idea of Sabbath. It is to decease from exertion. It means to stop what you would normally do and do something different. It means to celebrate. It means to leave. It means to put away or to put down. It means to make to rest. It means to rid yourself of something. It means to be still. It means to take something away. These are all concepts that are, that are bound up in this idea of a Sabbath. Kadash means to be clean. It's about 
purity. It, it means that it's set apart as something sacred. It's the same word that was used to speak over the, the instruments of the, of the temple. There were certain instruments that were sacred and holy in the holiest of holies, in the holy place. We understood how sacred they were. God uses these same words to describe the Sabbath. To appoint, to consecrate, to dedicate. It's hallowed, it's holy. To purify, to sanctify. I love this, the last one, Nuach, Nuach, where it says that he rested, speaking of what happened in the creation story. The Nuach, it means comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. That's a good word, isn't it? Do you have a day every week where you're comfortable, convenient, and easygoing? And is that feeling that you give to your body, is it kadash? Is it sacred to you? And do you understand that the reason you do it is because God wants you to have a Shabbat, a Sabbath, a day that is set aside to physically rejuvenate so that you can do what you're supposed to do on the other six. It's an attitude of rest that we've desensitized ourselves away from. Karl Barth, a great theologian of our time, says, let things take their course with particular freedom, distinct from weekday practice to as much or as little as the day would bring. The day should be free from compulsion. Isn't that good? Free from compulsion. When's the last time you had a day that was free from compulsion? That there, was not, there were not things that you had to do powerful, isn't it? It couldn't be more spiritual. It couldn't be more sacred. There's confusion about when the day should come. When I grew up, it was, had to be on Sunday. You with me? When I was growing up, if you, if you turned that lawnmower over on a Sunday morning, you were going to hell, right? That's what we knew. And as a kid growing up, I was like, praise the Lord with that kind of teaching, right? Can't rake those leaves today. It's the Sabbath, Dad. We're Christians. The day doesn't matter to God. It doesn't. It mattered in the Old Testament because there was a pattern and an order that God was establishing. But we understand from what Paul writes and, and, and so many of his epistles and so much of the rest of the New Testament, we pull the principles, come on, we pull the principles out of the Mosaic Law, but, but not the ritualistic practice. A lot of people think that Sunday is the Sabbath, but the traditional Sabbath is really Saturday if you follow the Jewish calendar. And the reason why they did it on Sunday is because it's called the Lord's Day in the book of Revelation because that's the day of the celebration of the resurrection of Christ. And so uh, early on that Christians, they were in this struggle of, of, of how are we going to, to we, we can't have two days of rest. And so they begin to popularize this idea of let's make the Sabbath on Sunday because that's the day of celebration for the resurrection of Christ. And see, that's, that, that's not good teaching, right? It, it, maybe it helped them organize their week, but if that's what you begin to teach, and that becomes theology, and that becomes binding to people, and that's not good. We want to celebrate. We celebrate the Lord's Day on Sunday. You know how we celebrate it? We celebrate it with rest, reaching out, and relationship, studying the Bible, prayer. You don't have to gather on that day. You don't have to. People say, well, that feels weird. I say, give it a couple of months, you're going to fall in love with it. Because many of you, you're desperate for a Sabbath. It's one of the reasons why we feel like God spoke to us in 2008 to move our service to Saturday because we so believe in this principle. 
Maybe we were willing to get our service off of the typical time slot so people could find a window of opportunity to walk in this principle of the practice of a Sabbath. You might, starting out, it might be hard for you. It might be because of your work schedule, because in the military, right? It, depending on, you've got people telling you to be at places and do certain things. Your Sabbath might have to move around week to week. It, it might be with your work schedule that maybe it's, it feels a little impossible to do it once every seven days. So maybe you're only going to be able to do it once every ten. What I'm saying to you is, is, is don't let the hardship get for you to give up on it completely, Right? Find a way to begin to work it in. And I'm, I just want to give you eight practical steps. Can I do that? Come on, eight practical steps. One is that, that you've got to pray. You've got to, you've, if you look at your schedule now because of the storm of busyness and activity that you're in, James says, right, if we lack wisdom to pray and it will be given to us. So you've got to pray. If you say, Fred, what you're asking me to do is impossible, I would say you've you got to take that up with God. I'm just telling, I'm just the messenger here. You ask him. He'll show you. It might take time. It might require great change. It might be a kingdom sacrifice. It might be your box of nard that you've got to put at Jesus' feet. Don't reject the gift that he's asking you to give him. Number two, you've got to invest. You've got to have budget for it. Part of resting. Rest is not necessarily that you have to choose to be lethargic the whole day. I tell people... The measure of whether or not you rested is how you feel the next day when you wake up. Now, my personality is such that I like to be a little bit more lethargic on my day of rest, right? I like to hang out and relax and read and, and, and watch Sports Center and movies and take three or four different naps, and, right? Vanessa is an active rester. She likes working in the yard and, and, and in the mulch beds and, and, and doing some projects around the house that she would never be able to do any other day. See, the question is, listen, it's not about whether or not you're active, it's whether or not you're rejuvenated the day after. You tracking with me? And if it's just the day to catch up on chores, you and I both know you're not going to be rejuvenated. So we're not saying, we're not saying be lethargic. We're saying rejuvenate. And it might be that you've got to practice a little bit. And if you're married and if you've got a family, that you've got to take into consideration the complexity, the dynamic that different people might rest in different ways and everybody's preference matters. You've got to protect your Sabbath. You've got to protect it. I am telling you, if you begin to put this in motion, you are going to find it is as though the universe is against you. The devil does not want you to discover the practice of this in your life because of what it will mean for you, your spiritual vitality the other six days. He wants you worn out and a little bit tired, and he likes you that way. I love in Mark 6, 4, it talks about where, where Jesus says that a, a prophet is not honored in your, in your own home. It is, it, is, it is hard to break free from the expectations of others. That's the principle that Jesus is speaking there. People have expectations of you because of the way that you've lived your life. Your children have expectations of you. Your spouse has expectations of you. And maybe part of those expectations is, is that you're just nonstop. It is hard to break free from the gravitational pull of the expectations of other people that you want to be caught in the gravitational pull of the expectation of the creator of the universe and live your life that way and let other people catch up to that. 
you got to be flexible. We already talked about that. It can move around. It doesn't matter to God which day it is. It's the principle that he wants you to practice. You've got to be flexible. You've got to break out of this old way of thinking that it has to be on a certain day. You need to involve your family. Men, if you're married and you've got kids, I, don't wake up tomorrow and say, I'll see you later, honey. Fred said i got to rest today. I'll check in with you at 5. If your husband does that, you call me. I'll go find him and talk with him. Glad to. You got to involve, this is a family day. You got to be together. Now, if you need some time alone, you got to work that out. You with me? If you're a naturally introverted person, you might need some downtime. You talk about that. There's got to be a plan how everybody's needs are accommodated. You've got to learn from other people. If this is new for you, call, Facebook, email. People that have been at church for a while, they've been hearing me preach this message a couple of times a year. They're putting it into practice. They can tell you how it has revolutionized their lives. They can talk to you about how they've worked around it. If you say, Fred, that's easy for you because you've got teenagers now and we've got little kids. We were doing this when our kids were little too. We figured it out. We found a way. Vanessa and I have been doing this since we lived in Mechanicsville, which is about, I don't know, about eight, nine years ago, we really began to practice this in earnest. And I'm telling you, it has changed our lives. You've got to give yourself grace. Can we just say that? Because some of you are adrenaline junkies. And you're going to experience, listen to me, real depression. Because the chemical imbalance that you're going to induce in your body from slowing down the pace of your life. And you're going to feel like you know what? And you're going to say, this is, I'm not doing this. I feel terrible. Yeah, you're in detox. <laughs> and you've got to allow your body to detoxify from the busyness of your life so you can break into the sobriety of rest. That's not in my notes. I hope somebody wrote that down because that was really good. The measure is whether or not you feel rested the next day. That, that's the measure. That's the measure. It doesn't mean that if the, the day before your, 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 your Sabbath, a tree falls on your neighbor's house and you say, can't help you, Bob, I'm Sabbathing tomorrow. You find rest in helping someone that's in need. You with me? Because it's spontaneous. If your neighbor calls you up and says, I'm having a tree taken down, can you help me on Monday? Then you can say, because you've got to protect your rest, if you can do it on Saturday, I can be there with you until about 4, because I've got church at 5. to be there soon. You, you with me? If you have an opportunity to plan it, you've got to plan around it. But there's a spontaneous need, right? There's a single mom who's got a flat tire on the side of the road and kids are crying. I'm not saying to you keep driving because you can't change a tire because it's your Sabbath day. You've got to step into, there might be moments of spontaneity, right? It's like the Good Samaritan. You might be a little bit tired, but I'm telling you, you're going to feel good the next day because you did something to help people. But when it comes to planning and structuring and scheduling, then you've got to work to protect it. You understand the difference between those two? Food prep in the Bible was an acceptable, an acceptable practice on the Sabbath day. Depending on how much our family loves to eat, we, 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 we're, we're a little bit, we're, we're foodies. Come on. And so food's a, a, a big part of our, our Sabbath day. It's a big part of me for eating and it's a big part of Vanessa for cooking, but that's what works in our house. 
There, there's still things that you're going to have to do on that day. You're tracking with me? The measure is, do you feel rested the day after? You know, for us, we, boating is a huge part of our journey and a huge part of our life. And it's one of the reasons why we do that is because we work so hard, we, we want to have ways to disconnect and disengage. And sometimes we're coming back on a summer night and we're not pulling into the driveway till 11 o'clock and our bodies are a little bit physically tired. But we wake up the next day rejuvenated because we rested as we played. You tracking with me? you got to find a routine so that you can begin to put rest into every one of your weeks. God says, I'm going to give you 52 of them every year. Don't spend them. Don't waste them casually because they're holy and they're sacred. I'm going to read you the story and then I'm going to let you go. I read this story at least twice a year. It's out of John Ortberg's Ortberg, one of my favorite authors, The Life You've Always Wanted. If you've ever read this book, it's a phenomenal read. It says, some time ago I was giving a bath to our three children, and I had a custom of bathing them together more to save time than anything else. And I knew eventually I was going to have to stop the group bathing thing, but for the time being it seemed efficient. Johnny was still in the tub, and Laura was out and safely in her pajamas, and I was trying to get Mallory dried off, and Mallory was out of the water and was doing what has come to be known in our family as the D-da-day dance. Now, this consists of running around and around and around in circles, singing over and over and over again, D-da-day, D-da-day, D-da-day. It's a relatively simple dance expressing great joy. Maybe that's the dance Vanessa and I will do at the New Year's Eve party. We just got to say, that's probably about the only one I got. When she was too happy to hold it in any longer, when, when words are inadequate to give voice to her euphoria, she has this dance to release her joy, so she does the Dida Day. On this particular occasion, I was irritated. Mallory, hurry! I prodded, so she did. She began running in circles faster and faster and chanting Dida Day more rapidly. You gotta love kids. No, Mallory, that's not what I mean. Stop with the Dida Day stuff and get over here so I can dry you off. Hurry up. And then she asked a profound question. Why? And I had no answer. I had nowhere to go. Nothing to do. No meetings to attend. No sermons to write. I was just so used to hurrying, so preoccupied with my own little agenda, so trapped in this rut of moving from one task to another, and there was life. Here was joy. Here was an invitation to dance right in front of me, and I was missing it. So I got up, and Mallory and I did the D-Da-Day dance together. And she said I was pretty good at it, too, for my age. <laughs> for some of you, it's time for a little bit of D-Di-Day dancing in your life because your life has become a storm of busyness and activity. And you've been praying for Jesus to stand up in your boat and to say, peace, be still. And what he's saying to you is, it's your choice. There is a Sabbath day that is waiting for you. And if you incorporate it into your life, there is something of him that you're going to find that will change your life.
Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together tonight. We thank you for all the different ways that you've spoken to us. We thank you, Father, that you've orchestrated this service in such a way that, that, that so many different people had an opportunity to hear from you in such a unique and special and profound way. And we know that's all a part of what Stephanie was sharing with us about the 318. Just this odd, off-putting number that seems so precisely exact that's a little bit confusing. And so we love that insight that she shared because every person matters. We know for you tonight, God, that every person in this room matters. Every need that they carry, it matters. I love how Janine came up during the, the greet time and how her grandmother passed away a little bit unexpectedly, had a few strokes recently, and then she was just gone. And then all day, that Janine, the way she encouraged herself was to play that song, you're a good, good father. You're a good, good, and then she comes here tonight and that's in the worship set. Tears streaming down her face. Father, as she shared, just her saying, God loves me so much. Father, you wanna do that for every person that's here. You want them to know, you see them, that you know their name, that you're in their life. You're not far away, you're present always. And so, God, may it be that each of us, in whatever way that you're speaking to us right now, that we would say, God, I want my whole heart to belong to you. Not just parts, not just this and that, but all of who I am. That we would be all in, in every way, with all that we are. And God, we don't want to get to heaven a minute too soon minute too soon. Help us to walk in the Shabbat, that we would recognize that it's Kadash. That we would experience this feeling of nuwak, of comfortable, convenient, and easygoing. All of us this week in some way, in Jesus' name, come on and everybody said together, amen. We'll see you next week.